Imagine if you wanted to get into your favorite college. You've worked hard, you've got good grades and write an amazing cover letter with glowing references, right? Well, money talks and it does for aspiring college students too. Enter the college admissions scandal when wealthy parents paid their kids way into prestigious colleges. It feels like it all just happened yesterday, but can you believe that this actually started three years ago? And yet the leader of it and the main orchestrator of the scheme has yet to be sentenced. The family that created Hot Pockets, famous actresses, a Napa Valley vineyard owner, plenty of uber wealthy people were involved in this scam, paying tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their children admitted into prestigious universities. So how did it finally fall apart? And how did it begin? Operation Varsity Blue. College admission scandal. The story today. million dollars in bribes. University admission scandal. charges and possible jail time. To pretend their kids were student athletes. Many of them didn't play sports. Hello everyone and welcome to Multilevel Mondays. Today, we're going to be chatting about a scam known as the College Admission Scandal or codename Operation Varsity Blues. Authorities first became aware of the scam when they went to arrest Marie Tobin. Back in April, 2018, they went to his French Chateau style mansion with a warrant ready to seize all his financial records. He'd been involved in a stock scam that defrauded investors of millions of dollars. According to Forbes, Tobin had orchestrated a classic pump and dump scheme involving penny stocks. He reportedly owned about 95% of CURR, Cure Pharmaceutical Holding Corp, and his partners launched a promotional campaign to inflate the stock price. And while they were inflating the stock price, he was secretly offloading shares. Other companies such as GS Valet, a public shell company were involved. He renamed them, then distributed shares among different offshore entities and orchestrated a reverse merger that led to 10.5 million shares being transferred. It was an absolute mess to put it mildly, a $15 million mess that Tobin had been taking part in from December, 2016 to June, 2017. So things weren't looking good for him, obviously. His life went from being comfortable, cushy, wealthy to anything but that. Federal agents offered him the standard deal that they do with plenty of white collar criminals, come clean and they might offer some leniency. Tobin was looking at the possibility of years in prison and a seven figure fine. So he'd be absolutely stupid to refuse. However, rather than tell them about his pump and dump scheme, Tobin offered something else, the college admission scandal. Tobin told investigators that there was a Yale soccer coach they might be interested in speaking to, Rudy Meredith. Rudy told Tobin that if his daughter wanted admission to Yale, he wanted a bribe, $450,000, according to a recorded phone call. Half a million dollars to just guarantee a single student's admission. Now, Rudy was quick to point the finger to somebody else, someone named Rick Singer. And Rick, in fact, was the mastermind and Rudy insisted that, and he was just a coach going along with it to line his own pockets. What prosecutors soon realized was that as greedy as the pump and dump scam was, they were about to fall onto a $25 million scheme that was bigger than anything they had imagined. So who exactly is Rick Singer, the man who orchestrated this entire scheme? As you can imagine, it's not as if there was a sudden decision and Rick began accepting bribes to get kids into Ivy League colleges overnight. It's something that happened very gradually. Back in the 1980s, Rick was working as a basketball coach and he gained a lot of experience in recruiting, understanding how athletes are recruited to colleges and naturally coaching. However, in 1988, Rick was let go. 
A spokesman at the time said it was a personal matter, but the Sacramento Bee reported that parents were calling Rick out on an abusive nature towards referees. Rather than go back to coaching sports, Rick spotted a gap in the market he could take advantage of. Around this time, US News started ranking colleges by prestige, making these schools all the more desirable to get into. Their first standalone college guidebook, America's Best Colleges, was printed in 1987. Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Princeton have all been consistently at the top, as many of us probably know and are not really shocked by that. As of 2015, these rankings were determined by a number of factors, such as reputation, graduation and retention rates, faculty resources, financial resources, graduation rate performance, and alumni giving. But almost four decades ago, these rankings were determined by academic reputation alone. Using this coaching and recruiting experience to his advantage, Rick started a business, an independent counseling service to help high school students get into college. It was called Future Stars, and it charged $1,200 to help parents and their kids understand entrance exams. According to the Sacramento Bee, he would counsel student athletes at their homes. Ron McKenna, a fellow coach and counselor at Kennedy High School in the 1990s, spoke highly of his experience working with Rick during his time, and he said, "'He was the kind of guy who would give you the shirt off his back to help. He was that generous. He was generous to a fault, even to strangers. And he was a great recruiter when we were at Sacramento State. He loved to go into places like East Los Angeles to recruit, and he'd get out there and play with prospects, talk their language. College admissions were becoming big business. Rick even spoke at college fairs, such as Rio Murata in Sacramento in 1993. Though he was described as dry but informational, Rick worked hard to put his name out there. Soon enough, his business was booming. Even in these early days though, there were some questionable aspects to the way he ran things. According to the Rio Murata, Rick would build in fear of the clients he worked with, fear of not getting into college or fear of not getting into the right college. He would sell parents on the idea that he was doing things that overworked high school counselors just couldn't do and make them believe he was the only way their children would get into their dream school. Desperate parents believed him and Rick became so known that he started developing his own terminology for his business using the side door. Getting into a college the normal way, as he put it, which was just putting in the hard work and applying is using the front door. Making a large donation to have a college take a second look at an application is using the back door. Rick wasn't suggesting parents donate to schools directly, but instead donate to him. And then he would speak to, i.e. bribe, coaches, admissions, employees, and others to guarantee a student spot. Now this side door was guaranteed and obviously illegal. Yet Rick seemed legitimate because of the connections he built. So people were hesitant to confront him and the scheme continued. As for how these parents gave Rick money, they obviously didn't simply transfer it over into his bank account. Instead, Rick used a business. Back in 2004, he created The College Source, another admissions counseling business after selling Future Stars. He even helped develop an online high school sewed to Kaplan. In 2007, he created The Key, or the Edge College and Career Network, a for-profit college counseling company, along with its nonprofit branch, Key Worldwide Foundation. Now, The Key was nothing more than a way for parents to donate to Rick, to guarantee their children a spot in top schools. Plus, since it's a donation, this would also give wealthy parents a tax break and allow Rick to gain the money tax-free as well. Rick had effectively set up a nice lucrative business for himself by opening these side doors. And for a time, no one was wise to his antics. So why did it take so long to uncover this fraud? Well, there are two main aspects to Rick's deceit, the sports and the tests. So let's start with the sports. In November, 2017, Rick Singer agreed to get a student into Yale for $1.2 million. 
He spoke to the head coach of the Yale women's soccer team and sent them an athletic profile, falsely claiming that this applicant was the co-captain of a prominent soccer team club in Southern California. Even though the student did not play soccer to begin with, Rick knew that he could get the Yale coach on board and he was in. Rick did the same thing for other schools in sports, such as Georgetown, USC, and UCLA. One of the most famous of these photos were actually taken of Olivia Jade rowing and rowing in like lots of quotations. And that was taken by her mother, former Full House actress, Lori Loughlin. Lori also did the same thing for her other daughter, Bella too. And Olivia Jade wasn't actually a rower, which was pretty fucking obvious with just one glance at what this girl was actually doing on her social media at the time. She was involved with a variety of social media projects, partnering with Sephora, vlogging, and things of that nature. Not only would she not have time to row, but Olivia didn't even seem to want to go to college. And why would she? Things were already fantastic for Olivia as an influencer. She seemed to be making a living at it and doing what she enjoyed and frequently complained about attending school on her social media profiles. For what it's worth, she added that she was fortunate enough to have an education amongst her complaints, but still continuously said she was only going to college for her parents. We got these from Mark Jacobs for Fashion Week. When I worked this is this little Givenchy. Um, it's kind of like a green. It's like an army green kind of color, like a cargo green. Her parents wanted her to attend so badly that they faked those photos and through Rick and his contacts, presented them as fact to USC. It was USC's senior associate athletic director, Donna Heinold, that was in Rick's pocket at the time. And he paid her about $20,000 a month for her to help students gain admission as recruited athletes. In total, she helped about two dozen students gain these positions that they did not earn and taking them away from real athletes and potentially more deserving students that were not buying their way in. After all, USC, like other prestigious universities, reserves a certain number of slots for gifted athletes. By working with Heinel, Rick was ensuring his clients were going to be in those spots that the school wanted to fill. And Donna received $160,000 for doing it. One of the very students that Heinel was helping be admitted to USC was actually Olivia Jade herself. However, while this seemed like the perfect scam, there were those that were suspicious, like Olivia's own high school counselor. As we mentioned, it was pretty apparent that Olivia was not involved in any sort of crew team. So once her guidance counselor, Philip Petroni, heard that she was admitted to USC as a crew athlete, he went to USC themselves to raise his concerns. Olivia Jade's father, Massimo Giannulli, was upset and confronted the counselor, saying that he was trying to ruin or get in the way of his daughter's opportunities. Meanwhile, Donna left Rick Singer a panicked voicemail, stating that she didn't want any parents getting angry and creating a disturbance at the school. I just don't want anyone getting into the high school, you know, yelling at counselors. That'll shut everything. That'll shut everything down, she told Rick. Petroni later testified about his suspicions, explaining that he was concerned Olivia's independent counselor, Rick Singer, was misleading colleges. Petroni also said that her father had gone into an absolute tirade during their meeting together, insisting that he was just supposed to help them. The counselor argued that he was just trying to uphold the integrity of the college admissions process. While Petroni claimed he was trying to do the morally right thing, for some, it was possibly the last thing on their minds as they accepted bribes. Rudy Meredith, a Yale women's soccer coach, not only accepted nearly a million dollars worth of bribes to help students gain access to Yale, but he and Yale supposedly consistently ignored serious allegations within the team. This included concerns about sexist pregame speeches, abuses of power, a plagiarism scandal, and non-existent praxis sessions. Jane Buckley, a goalkeeper at the time, told Insider that, for over 10 years, Yale women's soccer players have raised serious and urgent concerns about the state of our program. 
and we've been completely ignored and undermined. It's been exhausting, demoralizing, and more than anything, it's been classic. Classic in that for years, our concerns and needs as athletes were dismissed as emotional, dramatic, insignificant. Classic in that we were punished for raising these concerns rather than heard. Jane Buckley's op-ed also claimed that whenever the team did make complaints, they were always mysteriously making their way back to Rudy, who then confronted the players directly. And personally, I think this would absolutely discourage players from speaking up again, and that's a disgusting tactic to take for true. If on the other hand, the New York Times says that those who knew Rudy were shocked when they learned he was caught up in the college admissions scandal and said they never thought he was capable of doing this. Once Rudy was found out, he agreed to help the FBI take down Rick Singer, just as Tobin had done with him. And as we mentioned at the start of the episode, it was these conversations between Rudy and Rick that allowed prosecutors to gain permission to start tapping Rick Singer's phones. There was a gray area to the scam though. John Vandemore, he'd been called the least guilty in the entire charade. And while he may not be completely faultless, I don't believe he's really the villain in the story either. Donna and others like her used the money she received from Rick for personal gains, but John genuinely seemed to believe that Rick was making donations to the sailing club. Therefore, he used the money Rick gave him to better the sailing program at Stanford where he coached. According to Vandemore, Singer seemed to have everyone's blessing and would appear unannounced in his office, leading Vandemore to believe he must have a key card to enter the building. Adam Cohen, an associate head coach for men's basketball, even told Vandemore that Rick was a good guy who could help him out. As he'd done years before, Rick wormed his way up and did a seemingly good job at appearing legitimate. According to Vandemore, Rick didn't just say he wanted to put a non-sailor on his team, but suggested a student as more casual and friendly gesture. Rick allegedly said, "'I want to tell you about this girl I have. She's from Hong Kong, goes to school in the UK. She says she's a good sailor. I don't know how good she is. Great grades. Can I send you her information?' Vandermore said her regatta results were just okay, but agreed to take her as a walk-in. Rick then said that if she made it into Stanford, her parents were willing to give $1 million to the sailing program. The girl's family, the Zhao family, later stated that they had given Rick $6.5 million to donate to Stanford via the backdoor route we had mentioned and did not intend it as a bribe. They also claimed to be victims. Whether or not that's true, it's easy to see how Vandemore may have fallen for Rick's scheme. Rick also claimed that he had connections to other Stanford coaches. He was welcome and known within the school and he seemingly presented students as suggestions. When he gave money, it went straight back to the sailing program, something Vandemore was happy to accept. After all, at various points throughout the Netflix documentary called Varsity Blues, Vandemore explains that fundraising was part of his job. In the athletic director's office, and there's like six of them there. We had just won a national championship less than a month earlier, and the athletic director hadn't even recognized it. Didn't say congratulations, didn't reach out to the team, nothing. The only thing that he was doing was watching TV. The only time he looks up at me and kind of really starts asking questions is when it comes to fundraising. He's like, oh, John, you're doing a great job of fundraising. You know, keep that up, that's really helpful. And then he goes back to the television and that's it for the whole meeting. And this is someone that knew Rick Singer? Yes. Yeah, he told me he did. Although Stanford may be an especially prestigious school, their sailing program isn't exactly their most popular to say the least. The athletic director himself allegedly didn't even recognize their achievements, such as winning a national championship during meetings and barely acknowledged Vandemore himself. So to be handed hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations by Singer, it was basically too good to refuse and Vandemore didn't know he had anything to be suspicious about. Now, the other avenue Rick exploited was learning disabilities and test taking. Rick would explain to his parents and clients that their children needed to be tested for a learning disability and it could be his person or connection that did it. 
All that needed to happen was that the student needed to move slowly. And when they did, they could potentially qualify for needing more time on a test. Rick would tell parents directly that their child needed to not act as smart as they really are. And once they qualified for more test time, they were golden. From there, once the students had accommodations, they would take the test with a proctor Rick hired, Mark Ruddle. The student would then take the test and an answer sheet alongside with it, filling in those bubbles, which allowed Mark to rebubble and refill in the correct answers. Rick hyped up Mark and news organizations called him a test-taking whiz, but it's important to recognize that Mark isn't really some incredible genius. He's an adult taking a high school level test. He didn't have inside information. He works within the test preparation industry. Akil Bello, a test prep expert, says that anyone within his industry should be able to do what Mark did. It's just a matter of who's willing to do it and compromise their ethics in such a fashion. Bello honestly summed this up better than I ever could. When you look at it in the light of the when scandal- you look when you look at it in light of the scandal, when you have predominantly rich families who had every advantage that said they should be fine on the SAT, they're gonna score in the highest demographic, they had all the prep in the world that they wanted, and yet they still cheated. Test administrator Igor Dvorsky was also in on the fraud, and he was paid $10,000 per student to allow cheating on college entrance exams. In total, he accepted about $200,000 worth of bribes for 20 separate students. Parents like Michelle Javanis, whose family helped create Hot Pockets, they questioned how their children couldn't find out. She said that her older daughter hadn't cared about the test, but told Rick that my younger daughter isn't like my older daughter, she's not stupid. Throughout the Varsity Blues documentary, Rick gave parents a variety of reasons that they could give to their children, like it's more convenient in LA to be near those colleges and they're already set it up, whatever they needed to say. I'm not sure if these students, these kids, would assume that their parents would help them cheat on a test, but many were deceived either way. Infuriatingly, the way that Rick manipulated test-taking meant that the college testing industry had to scramble to try and prevent this from happening again. I have plenty of issues with College Board as a whole, and I've talked about it before, but that doesn't make it any less disgusting how Rick exploited them. The scheme took advantage of our efforts to accommodate students with disabilities. We've never seen somebody try to weaponize that or turn that into their advantage to beat our security systems. So that's new, and we're addressing that specifically, Peter Schwartz, Chief Risk Officer and General Counsel for the College Board told the New York Times. Now, students who need double the time or more are required to take it at their home schools. College board officials also said that Riddle's skill wasn't all that special and in fact demonstrated how a large score alone doesn't prompt a red flag for cheating. Again though, he was an adult taking a test made for kids within a test-taking industry. Others like Miriam Friedman, a special education lawyer, said that this was a scandal waiting to happen because in some communities, it's well known that psychologists will provide paperwork attesting to disabilities like ADHD for the right price. Data from 2017 also shows that the requests for special accommodations doubled between 2010 and 2016, and about 85% of those requests were granted. Of course, it's possible that as we've become more aware of mental health and the importance of taking care of yourself and the variety of ways in which to do that, more students are getting the help they need. I don't want to imply that these students are faking it or asking for accommodation they don't deserve or don't need. I'm sure many of the requests are in fact legitimate. However, there are those like the super rich parents we've discussed today that will take advantage of the system and pay for a false diagnosis for said accommodations. And before we continue on to talk about the legal battles that unfolded with the scandal, let's just take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors.
Today's episode is sponsored by America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. HelloFresh sends farm fresh seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients straight to you. It lets you cut out mealtime planning and searching around the grocery store and even cuts down time in the kitchen with most meals taking 30 minutes or less. So you get convenience, you get quality and you get deliciousness. Plus there's so much variety and ability to customize your order to your needs. I don't know how many times I can emphasize that I love planning things. And when I get to plan my meals like six weeks in advance with HelloFresh and know exactly what's coming, when it's coming and all of that, it's the easiest, it is the best thing in the world and you can do it all on their app. So it doesn't matter if I wanna swap out a protein to change what's on the menu exactly or upgrade to create a more luxe version of my meal. There's something for everybody. So if you wanna get started, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash MLM16 and use code MLM16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com slash MLM16 with code MLM16. Now paying off high interest debt can feel really discouraging. You keep making your payments, but the interest basically cancels it all out. Well, Upstart can help you pay down that debt to help you get back to living your life. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and you can do it all online. Rather than only looking at your credit score, Upstart considers other factors as well, like your current employment, income, and your credit history, all to find you a smarter loan rate. Because especially in these trying times, it's important that you're searching for the best rates for the best thing to fit your lifestyle. So check out your rate online without impacting your credit score for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 for anything that you need. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash MLM. That's upstart.com slash MLM. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash MLM. Whether it was the Sports Avenue or Test Avenue or a combination of both, many parents relied on Rick to get their children into good colleges using these methods. And for a while, it worked. However, once Rudy sold Rick out, he knew he'd have to cooperate with the FBI. Rick made phone calls with the parents giving him bribes, telling them that his foundation was getting audited. He'd ask leading questions such as, we paid Gordy to help a student get into Georgetown, Gordy being a Georgetown tennis coach. Parents would typically agree and say, right, being none the wiser and agree to tell anyone that their money was just a donation to his organization. As for Vandemore, his phone call went a little bit differently. He explains that when Rick called him, he was rushing out the door from work. I was just yaying him to death, Vandemore explained, like he was talking a bit absentmindedly. At one point, Rick did say he was going to have to give him a deposit to continue their relationship, but Vandemore took it to mean that Rick was just going to keep recommending students to him. Rick Singer said that, hey, I really want to get to your relationship. I want to call you in about a week and I want to talk about another donation like I did with the 100. Essentially, I'm just yanking him to death. He said, hey, he wants to donate 160,000 right now and he'd give the rest later to kind of make continue a deposit in our relationship. That's kind of like the only word that I really picked up was deposit. And so I took it as his deposit on relationship was that he would bring me more recruits to consider and we kind of see how it would go from there. Vandemore's lawyer, Robert Fisher, said that the phone call certainly wouldn't look good to a jury despite the context. Given that, he pled guilty and was fired. He is doing well now though. He was sentenced to just one day in jail, six months of house arrest and a $10,000 fine. 
However, he's written a book about his experience, gotten a new job in water engineering services and still coaches sailing at a Redwood City sailing school. The other phone calls between these wealthy parents were far more damning. Rick was easily able to have them admit wrongdoing, which isn't surprising considering the trust between them. However, Robert Fisher argues that historically, white collar defendants will run their mouths like this, whereas had Rick actually been talking to anyone within organized crime, he would have been pinned down easily. It didn't take long before arrests were made and the list of those involved began to grow. Felicity Huffman, the Desperate Housewives actress, pled guilty to mail fraud and honest services fraud after paying $15,000 for Rick to get his daughter, Sophia Grace Macy, a good score. She performed 250 hours of community service and was released after serving 11 days of a 14 day long prison sentence. She and Lori Loughlin were the two biggest celebrities caught up in the scandal and Lori was sentenced to a slightly longer prison term, two months. Her husband, Massimo, was sentenced to five months. Not only did Huffman and Lori's actions lead to legal consequences, but familial ones as well. Huffman said that her daughter was upset with her when the scheme was revealed and stated, I don't know who you are anymore, mom. Why didn't you think I could do it on my own? Huffman admitted she'd been frightened, stupid, and told the judge she was deeply ashamed. Lori Lachlan was also emotional during sentencing and told the judge that she was deeply sorry and wanted to use this as an opportunity and catalyst to do good for the rest of her life. Judge Nathaniel Gordon didn't seem to have a shred of sympathy and instead hammered home the point that their actions were despicable. And he said, "'Yet you stand before me, a convicted felon, and for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more, to have whatever prestige and instant gratification that comes from being able to show off the admission of your daughters to a preferred university." The Justice Department's website lists every person that was indicted and how long the charges were. Rick Singer has yet to be sentenced as everyone else's cases are coming first and likely in part thanks to the pandemic, these sentences are coming in slowly. Chances are Rick will still be free for another few years before then. It's already been three years since the scandal broke and the justice system moves far slowly for white collar crime as we've seen before. Most of the people on the list were given about a month of prison and fines around 40 to $50,000. There are some that served just two weeks or were sentenced to about a year and many got around 250 hours worth of community service. Tobin, who revealed the scam to investigators received one year and one day and was ordered to pay a fine of $100,000 and forfeit $4 million for his securities fraud scheme apart from the college admission scandal. While this certainly is not a lot of time and the fines seem to be a slap on the wrist, it's at least something, I guess. Another point the documentary makes here is how the fines for these wealthy parents mean very little, if anything at all. Cause you gotta remember here, right? If they can spend half a million dollars to get their daughters into a good school, then what is 40 to $50,000 on a legal fine? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to even equate like what that means in like regular people money. But I think it's actually, I think it's probably something equivalent of like you spent a thousand dollars and then you have to pay a fine of $10. I may have done my numbers wrong. I never have a, like claimed that I'm a math person, but it's something like that. It's ridiculously stupid and low. Now, I agree with those in the documentary who say that had the money been put towards helping underprivileged kids get into college, or at least some good could have come from this, but you know, that that's not what happened here. Instead, this isn't really gonna do much. You know, Rick's side door may be closed, but that back door of just donating millions of dollars to schools, that one's still open. Now, while the fallout has been widespread, Olivia Jade has largely become the face of the scandal. New York Times articles have pointed to her videos where she said she was only going to college for game days and partying, remarking about how that was poorly received, considering how ungrateful it sounds. 
Commenters have said things like, your mom really paid for you to get into college and get someone to do your SAT when there's people out there that work so hard to get into college, you are an embarrassment. Articles from Vanity Fair said that it made sense Olivia Jade was so widely discussed as she was already such a prolific vlogger when this broke. She had about 2 million subscribers at the time and seemed pretty easygoing to her fans. Now, when Olivia did start posting footage of her dorm room at USC, she even had an Amazon partnership to decorate, making the room look luxurious. It's very interesting because at about two and a half minutes in the video, she insists the video isn't sponsored, that they just helped her decorate the room. And I believe that still falls under a sponsorship, even if they give you the stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's how that works. Even so, many were insulted that she could make money or at least gain so many products from attending college when she didn't even earn her place there, let alone want to be there, as Vanity Fair wrote in 2019. Over the last week, each day has seen a new headline gleamed from a throwaway line in an Olivia Jade vlog. Us Weekly has been churning them out factory style. Lori Lachlan's daughter, Olivia Jade Giannulli, once joked she literally never went to high school. Lori Lachlan's jokes about paying all this money for Olivia Jade's education in resurfaced video amid college bribe scam, and so on. Admits the scandal, Olivia Jade eventually dropped out of USC. The school put her account on hold, meaning she couldn't register for classes or acquire transcripts. Her sponsorships dwindled, posts of her saying how much she hated school kept emerging, and her social media was quiet for quite some time. In late 2019, she returned and continues to post on YouTube, vlogging about her beauty routines and things of that nature. Though as of writing this, it's been about two months since she's last uploaded. With my food abilities. You guys, my mom has to teach me how to do all of this. (laughs) We're doing a $50 outfit challenge. Oh, really? Yeah, it didn't work. There's been a lot of speculation about how much Olivia knew about her parents' actions, though she's denied being aware of the bribes. She said on Red Table Talk that she wasn't fully aware of anything and felt that she couldn't go back to school once the scandal broke because she was too ashamed. Everyone from Cosmopolitan to New York Times discussed her appearance on the Red Table Talk show. The New York Times noted how Miss Banfield Norris, known on the show as Gammy or Gam, didn't want to welcome Olivia Jade at all. And I honestly can't blame her. Here's what she said. I just found it really ironic that she chose three black women to reach out to for her redemption story, Miss Banfield Norris said. I feel like here we are, a white woman coming to black women for support when we don't get the same from them. It's bothersome to me on so many levels. Her being here is the epitome of white privilege. Regardless of how you feel about Olivia, I feel that Rick and the schools themselves are really the problems here. Olivia did absolutely benefit from the system, but Rick and these coaches opened this side door which should have never been a door in the first place. College sports are an entire controversial topic in of themselves, so I'm not surprised to hear this side of them. And of course, this is something that intrigues me a little bit more about talking about what exactly goes on in college sports. So I probably think in a couple months, we'll be talking about the sports themselves. But all in all, I think this speaks volumes and proves how powerful greed really is, as if we needed more proof of that. Now, as of writing this, parents are still being sentenced slowly but surely. A former casino owner was sentenced to one year and one day in prison this February after paying to secure his daughter's admission into USC as a basketball recruit, despite her not making the varsity team in high school. This sentence has been the longest yet among the parents and more than 50 people have been charged thus far. Now the students of these parents have often been shunned from their communities as well. For example, the youngest daughter of Miss Genovese was banned from campus events like graduation and prom while her older daughter was banned from USC. 
frankly, I think it's clear both daughters are victims here in that they now can't get into the schools they dreamed about because of their mother's actions. And to make things worse, the eldest daughter may be humiliated knowing that her mother basically called her stupid for anyone who watched the documentary. Also as a side note, the $770,000 that Stanford received from Vandemore's bribes were redistributed. And as Rick Singer has yet to be sentenced, it's still unclear how much money he may be ordered to return that his foundation profited from. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the people I actually feel bad for in this situation are those that didn't even have a chance to get into these schools or those who had their spots stolen because someone else had paid money. The system is broken and there is no doubt about that, but I feel we've got a very long way to go to see any real change. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode. I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I appreciate you spending your time here with me. I know you could be doing a million and a half other things, and yet you were kind of listening, having me in the background, actively watching, whatever the deal is, thank you. I appreciate your time here today, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.